Hey, good morning, everybody. It is good to see all of you here this morning. Is it, uh, it looks like it's clearing up out there. Hopefully you stayed dry, uh, didn't get a downpour on you on your, on your way in. It is good to be with you again if you're visiting with us today, if this is your first time here. We are so glad that you're here. We love new people at Hope. I missed you last week, for those of you that were here. I wasn't here. I, once in a while I preach out at our West Des Moines campus, which is always fun and it's great. And I, I love being out there because I get to brag about you. Uh, that's what I do uh, when I go out there there, but it is always good to be back here preaching from the free throw line. This is what I'm used to right here. This is my, this is my, my home court. This is my spot. So it's great being out there in the big worship center, but I prefer the free throw line. Thank you. Um, this is kind of where we like to hang out here at Hope Des Moines. But as I was thinking this week, you know, a lot of times when, when we're away, you kind of get a little reflective and you think, and God brought me back to this passage that he continues to bring me back to again and again from the book of Philippians, and Paul is writing to the church of, of Philippi, this, ch- this church that he helped start, and he's writing to them, and uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but it, you know, six years ago, this was our second service ever, and a group of people thought, may it's worth it uh, to, to do this. Uh, six years ago, this June, and I think this verse applies to us today more than it ever has, and Paul writes this, in all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. So I think that 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 is my heart for you this morning. I want you to know that, that when I pray about you, when I pray for you uh, as a church, how cool is it that I get to pray for a church that brings joy to my heart? A lot of times I know there's a lot of grumpy churches and grumpy pastors out there like, just want to complain about this person or that person. If that's you, we've already asked you to leave, so you don't need to worry about, I'm just kidding. Um, We sent you to to another campus. Um, No, it is fun, it is, it is a joy, it is a privilege, it is an honor to be able to pray for you as a church and have God bring joy to our hearts. We pray for you every single week. And I also love the end of that passage, that some of you might be here today and you're thinking that there are some limitations you're facing. There are some barriers you're facing in your life. Maybe you felt that for us as a church sometimes, but I love the promise of what Jesus is giving to us in that passage, that he who began a good work in you We'll bring that to completion. Whatever it is that you long for today, what you long to be, to, to unanswered prayers in your life, whatever that is, God says, what I started, I'm going to finish. And I think he just wants you to know that today. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever you brought in here with you this morning, that he who began a good work in you will bring that to completion, whether it's for you individually and for us as a church You might think, whoa, God's done some incredible things here at Hope Des Moines. This is amazing. Let's just put up our heels and coast for the next 10 years. No, you think this has been fun so far. You think that God has been doing some amazing things in the city. We are just getting started. Amen? The best is yet to come, and I could not be more excited about that. Today we are uh, continuing a brand new sermon series called What's a Lutheran? We started this last week. In other words, we're asking this question, what puts the Lutheran in Lutheran Church of Hope? And some of you that are not familiar with our denomination, the background of that at all, are thinking, what's a Lutheran? You know, I think I saw one of those in a cage at the zoo earlier this year. I'm not sure. 
No. We're going we're gonna to clear that up today. Depending on your church background, if you grew up in a traditional church background or maybe no church background at all, you're going to answer that question in a very different ways. For some of you that are lifelong Lutherans out there and that's why you're a part of this church is because that's your heritage, um, whatever that is, you're getting all giddy right now and you're saying, yeah, sure, you betcha. Let's, let's build a church with a basement so we can have a church you know, potluck after our green hymnal, hymn sing, and let's have some green jello and lutefisk and lessa, yeah. Anybody really excited about that? Okay, some of you, if you're like me, you're Scandinavian, you're, you're, you're Lutheran, you're Iowan, all of it. Um, I, I grew up in a church basement. I mean, I was raised by a pack of Lutherans and, uh, you know, whatever that means. But I am so Lutheran. Some of you are so Lutheran. It's just so those traditions are so embedded in you that like you're at the, mo- you're at the movies or you're watching it at home and you watch Star Wars and Yoda says, mm, may the force be with you. And you just respond, and also with you. Like it's just very natural for you as a Lutheran to, to do that. Some of you are wondering, what happened to my church? Uh, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Others of you are having these repressed memories come up of these cold, you know, damp, dark church basements where you were bored to death uh, by some boring pastor that was teaching you confirmation, and you're like, I just wish Jesus would come back right now, because it'd be, <laughs> be much better than confirmation. You know, what, whatever your church background is, um, there's good news for all of us today, that we are a Jesus church first, and we are a Lutheran church second, Yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. Lutheran, Jesus first, Lutheran second. Some of you, yeah, exactly. But that's the truth. I want you to know that as we go through this series, our goal at Lutheran Church of Hope, our primary goal, is not to convince you to be Lutheran. Our goal is to point you to Jesus Christ. We're always going to preach and teach teach from a Lutheran theological lens, but our number one desire that you would grow in your relationship with Jesus, that you would follow him. And if we do that from a Lutheran, now we agree, we have the best denomination. We are the best, but um, to be honest, we have really, really, really good theology. Just traditionally, Lutherans haven't been the best at actually living it out. That's been our struggles. It stays up here, and it doesn't go to here and here. That's That's the movement of our faith. A lot of you starts out here, but we want your heart to be transformed so that it just becomes a part of who you are. And we're going to discover that's really what it means to be Lutheran. What it means to be Lutheran is not some click for certain people with insider information and weird food. It's, it's, if we dig a little bit deeper, our Lutheran roots actually point us back to the foundation of Jesus Christ and his mission for us. And what we're going to discover and what we want you to know that first and foremost, what it means to be Lutheran is to be people who have been radically transformed by God's grace. And so today I don't want to bore you uh, with more boring tradition or necessarily start off with Lutheran theology. I just want to tell you a story that maybe you can identify with in your life today. There was a young boy that grew up many years ago in the country of Germany, and he grew up, and his dad was a coal miner, and they were uh, not so well off as a, as a family, and so his dad had high aspirations for him to grow up and to make a living and to be able to help out the fam- family financially. And they grew up in, in religion, you know, going to church was something that they did. It was a, a family tradition, maybe as it is for you, but it was nothing more than that. I don't want to get too excited about it. It was just kind of what everybody did. Well, this young boy really fell in love with learning and going to school, and he learned Latin, and he learned Greek, and he learned Hebrew, and he eventually, as a young man, earned his law degree. 
And his father was very excited because, oh, now he can be a lawyer and he can, he can run the financial side of the family business and it'll be great. But about halfway through his life, this young man kind of reached a point in his life, as maybe some of you have. You're kind of looking back on your life so far and you have your thought to yourself, man, there's got to be more than this. Man, there's, there's got to be more than what I'm experiencing right now in my life. You ever thought that? And that was the case for this young man, and God certainly responded to that prayer. And God's story sort of intersected with his story, and he just felt compelled to go into the ministry. And so he went into the ministry, and during his first year of seminary, which is this training for pastors, he got this assignment, and it was asked to write this essay to answer this question. How can we be good before a holy and righteous God? How can we be good enough? How can we be holy enough to satisfy a righteous God? And his struggle was maybe your struggle is there was this, this, this person that, that he was and then there was this image and this, this vision of, of the man of God that, that we felt like God was calling him to be, the man or woman of God. Maybe you can identify with this struggle and, and in between is the difficulty. How do I get from where I am in my life today to where I feel like God's calling me to go because I keep getting in my own way? And no matter what I do, I feel like I sabotage my best efforts. I take one step forward and two steps back in my faith. Anybody ever been there? Or is that just me? Okay, I see some heads nodding. Well, that was his struggle. And no matter how hard he tried, in and of himself, this was more than a classroom assignment. This was the battle that was raging in his own heart. I can't be good enough. Anybody ever been there? Well, if that's you, if you've ever struggled with those thoughts or those ideas, then you fit in perfectly at this Lutheran church. Because that young man is none other than the founder of this Lutheran movement, who many believe to be a great uh, scholar, Bible hero, hero of the faith, is Martin Luther himself. So you have something in common. Maybe you're more Lutheran than you thought if you're in need of God's grace. Here's a picture of Martin. Uh, maybe not one of his better pictures. Kind of a rough day for Martin. Um, I think he woke up on the wrong side of the bed there or, or something. But believe it or not, Lutherans are allowed to have a personality. Uh, it's okay as Lutherans to laugh. That's a good thing. Uh, Martin did laugh. He enjoyed a drink a, a time or two, as you read. Um, but he also discovered, and maybe you discovered, his biggest struggle was how in the world will I ever be able to comprehend the grace of God? I mean, it just seems too good to be true, right? <laughs> Nothing is for free in this life. That's, that's not the world around us. I, how do I comprehend that? Because I, I, can't just, I have to do something to earn it, to prove myself, right? And that was Luther's biggest struggle and maybe your biggest struggle. Because Luther would come across passages like we heard read for us this morning from Ephesians 2, and he, he'd read this. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, let's pause there for a second. In order to know the good news, we got to know the bad news, right? Some of us want to just skip to Easter, and we don't even want to think about Good Friday, right? What makes Easter so exciting? The Good Friday happened, right? We don't get to the tomb until we've dealt with the cross. We don't get to rescue until we actually believe there's something we need rescue from, 
And some of you, I don't know, some of you might have this view of sin, like God is this big, grumpy, old, hairy man with a big beard up in heaven with a giant ruler, and when you screw up, he's waiting for you to screw up, and he slaps you on the wrist and says, try harder next time. You wouldn't say that, but that's your view of God. Just, I'll just try a little bit harder not to sin. I don't think that's the kind of Christianity that Jesus had in mind. Instead, when we look at the biblical view of sin, we learned last week, Andy taught us that the wages of sin is death, which means I'm literally dying here. Sin is not, oops, a slap on the wrist, I'll try a little harder. Sin is, I am falling in this pit of my own sin, which leads to death. And if somebody other than myself that has more power than me, somebody wholly other comes and rescues me up out of that pit, I'm not going to make it. That's sin. Which makes the second half of this passage even more incredible. Because watch what God does. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And he says this, and let's read this last part together. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And so, contrary to the popular opinions of the day, including, unfortunately, the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church at the time, Luther became convinced that we have been saved, that we have been forgiven, not because of how good we are, but because of God's goodness and what he's already Done, and unfortunately, Luther looked at the church that he loved, and he looked at what was being preached and what was being taught, and instead of grace, it was works righteousness. And this is just the top of the iceberg of the issues that were facing the church at that time. And it was people would crawl up the steps of these churches, praying these prayers as they would go, that if they just prayed a little bit harder and prayed a little bit more, if they gave a little bit more money to the church, if they were just a little bit better person, then maybe God would save them and you could actually get a better place in heaven and rescue your relatives out of hell if you just prayed a little bit more. The problem is, that's not in the Bible. And that's an issue. And that's a big issue when we're talking about issues of salvation. So you have to know Luther's goal was to reform the church from the inside out. Luther's goal wasn't to gather a bunch of Scandinavians and Norwegians and Swedes and move them over to Iowa and, and Minnesota and plant these country churches and have lutefisk and potlucks and church basements for 200 years. It wasn't his primary goal. Luther, instead, instead of complaining came at it with humility. And I think that's why God blessed it. God doesn't bless complaining. I think he blesses humility. Luther loved the church too much to see this happen. And so you know the story. He came, he nails the 95 theses, these 95 issues or complaints that he has against the church to reform it. By the way, if you have any questions or concerns about us as a church, don't go nail them to the door at Hubble. We can just talk about it and you can just... Bring him. Not the best way of doing that. But he needed to get his point across, and essentially he went and said to the rulers of the day, he nailed it up there and said, Deal with it. You need to deal with this. And so from the very beginning of our Lutheran roots, our heritage that you're a part of here today, there's a little bit of rebellion. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now, just elbow him, wake him up, and say, You rebel you. Just tell him, You rebel you. Just look at him. Oh yeah, I'm not a rebel. Yeah. I can't get too worked up. I'm Lutheran, right? That's the point. 
What does it mean to be Lutheran? Number one, that we are overwhelmed with God's grace. And number two, what it means to be Lutheran from the very start is that when we see things happening in the world that don't line up with God's view of the world and his kingdom coming, we don't sit idly by and say, well, we have the best theology. Let's just go to Bible study again. As Lutherans, we get out of our seats and we do something about it. We get active in the world, especially when it comes to the church especially when it comes to the unity of the church. I think Luther would be appalled at many of the church wars and the denominational wars that are happening today. Luther was for the unity of the church because Jesus is for the unity of the church. Jesus prayed for that. And that's why we believe as, as, as hope as we expand and start other campuses and, and move downtown where there's other churches, our goal is never, never to steal people or to compete with other churches. We need more churches. We need more churches that are healthy and vibrant and growing and connecting people to Jesus Christ. Amen? We're not in competition with anybody. And the problem is we start seeing other churches and other denominations. Oh, the Presbyterians or the Pentecostals or the Catholics or whoever they are. We start seeing them as the enemy. Then Satan's got us. Because what have we stopped doing? Seeing the real enemy as the enemy, right? His job is to steal and kill and destroy. And that's what he does when he puts us in competition with each other. That's why we're doing VBS with an entirely another church downtown. Because we want to see them grow just as much as we want to grow. I want to see them explode because of Vacation Bible School. So we're working together on this, and that's the point. And so Luther's going through this, and he's wrestling with this, and they're not just these petty little arguments, and that's why I want to ask you this morning, you want to go back to our Lutheran heritage, what is it that keeps you awake at night? What is it that when you lie awake or when you're daydreaming and you think about the way that the world is, what are you passionate about? Not just, okay, World Cup soccer for a while here. Yes, we're all passionate about that. But what are you really passionate about? What gets to you? What, what is it when you look at our city of Des Moines or when you look at your neighborhood, you look at your street or you look at your block and you look at the way that God's kingdom is, do you say, that's not right. And as a follower of Jesus, I can't just come and go through the motions every week and go to Bible study and not do anything about it. That's what it means to be Lutheran. It's to get after it. Not just to be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. That was, that was his goal all along. And so getting back to the heart of the Christian faith is really what the, the, the catalyst for not just the Lutheran movement, but the entire Protestant Reformation. That struggle that Luther had of how do I get from there to there, how do I be good enough, was answered in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's read it together up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this it is a gift of God. That was the catalyst for the entire Lutheran movement. That it's not about a God who's angry. It's not about a God who wants to take something from you. It's about a God who wants to give you something. And that's his unmerited favor and grace. And you would think, as a church, you know, we're not all made up of Lutherans. Lutherans. Some of us are, some of us aren't. Some of you are like, hmm, jello, that sounds good. You know, whatever, whatever it is, it does not matter. What makes us Lutheran is that our story starts here, and you would think we would get that. You would think, oh, grace, I've heard about it, we've sung about it, it's amazing. Why is it amazing? 
Go back to our question of the day. If you really honestly were sitting in a coffee shop and somebody that doesn't go to church, that doesn't know Jesus at all, that's not connected with him, what's this whole grace thing about? Okay, think about your answer for a second. Don't blurt it out. Strip away the religious trappings and language. Strip away the Christianese. Okay? How would you describe God's grace? And I don't doubt that in our answers, in our beliefs, there's nobody here today that disagrees with grace, that's not appreciative of it, that's not thankful for it. The problem is, a lot of us haven't received it. Because we love to be in control. And I want to remind you today that the process of maturity and growing up in our faith isn't gaining more control, it's giving up control. In order to receive grace, we have to really not be in control. We have to be receptive to something other than us to save us. And that's the thing. I think when we respond to grace, it's in one of two main ways, two sort of ditches that we can fall into. Does anybody play bowling or do bowling? Do you play bowling? You go bowling? Anybody like to bowl? Right? Okay, three of you. Good. The rest of you can just imagine. There's this game called bowling, and it's a big ball, and there's two gutters on the side. And the goal of bowling is to keep your bowling ball out of the gutters, right? And the same way it is with grace, Jesus wants us to receive it, to go right down the middle for a strike, not going in this gutter or that gutter. And the two gutters when it comes to grace, that if you're anything like me that you fall into, are one is pride. Everybody say pride. And the other one is performance. Everybody say performance. So we'll start with pride. Some of you are saying, no, 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 ask me. Here's the thing. If we're going to be overwhelmed and captivated by God's saving grace, it might be helpful that you and I actually believe that we actually need saving from something. (laughs) Because I think a lot of us are, you know, Midwestern, Scandinavian, Lutheran Christians and we come to hope and we come here and we do our thing and we're pretty good people. And that's our biggest struggle. That's our biggest barrier. We think we're pretty good. I've got a house. I've got a car. I've got a family. I've got a nice church family here. Things are fine. And maybe the biggest barrier in your faith to receiving God's grace is saying, I'm fine. Jesus says, I didn't come for people that are fine. I came for the sick. And that's why Jesus tells the story, you've probably heard it before, Luke chapter 18. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, let's look at this story. Jesus tells the story, and I love how he starts it. (laughs) It says this, Then Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence of their own righteousness. (laughs) In other words, some churchy people that said, I'm good. And he tells the story. There was two men one day that came up to the temple to pray. There was a a Pharisee who was essentially kind of the religious leader, the, the model of spirituality. And he kind of stood and prayed on one side of the temple porch and on the other side was a tax collector. And you might think, oh, a tax collector, you know, they're just kind of like an IRS agent. Well, you got to know that in those days, people hated tax collectors so much that on the kind of the rung of society and the popularity ladder, tax collectors were like, under prostitutes, way down there, hated, despised, liars, cheaters, thieves. Definitely not the model of spirituality and faith. 
And so you have these two men that have gone up to the temple to pray, but very different. And it says that the Pharisee stood up to pray. He stood by himself and prayed, I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everybody else. I don't cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. And certainly, God, I am not like him. Him, meaning the tax collector that's on the other side of the porch, it says that he could not even look up to heaven. He was probably down on his knees praying. Couldn't even look up to God because he was so convicted of his sin. Two men who could not be more different. Two, two men, yet one thing in common, both desperately trying to please God. Just like Luther. Luther. One man trying to do it through his own performance, one of, it not, one of them not quite sure if he'd ever be good enough. One heart open to God, one heart closed off to God. When it comes to your view of yourself before God, where would you put yourself on the porch that day? Because here's the difference. One of those men viewing themselves before God vertically, one horizontally, and the, distant, the difference changes everything. For some of you, when you think about your own goodness, whether I deserve to go to heaven someday or not, whether I'm a good Christian or a bad Christian, you view yourselves like the Pharisee horizontally. And what I mean by that is you just kind of look around in the world around you and say, well, compared to everybody else, kind of on the, the, the bell curve of goodness, I, I'm pretty good. I mean, I'm looking out and I, I'm certainly not like them and I, I, don't, I haven't sinned like they have and I don't do the things that they do and certainly I'm a better person than you and if that's okay, if that's good enough, then I'm good enough. I just have to be better than, oh, 50% of you. Problem is, God doesn't grade on a curve. God doesn't grade horizontally, he grades vertically and that's how the tax collector is viewing himself is that he's taking not just his bad self, his sin, but all of his goodness, all of his good deeds, no matter how good of a person he is, he looks at himself in view of a holy and righteous God in which he will never be good enough on his own. And that's why it says he beat his chest. Because he realized, I need grace like the air I breathe. Which side of the porch are you on this morning? Because here's the thing. If we're not careful and we start living like the Pharisee, we can start living a version of Christianity that doesn't need Christ. Because I'm really fine on my own. And Jesus was a really good teacher. And I come once a week to worship. And I hear the sermon. And I worship. And I get these nice warm fuzzies. And I go home and I try to be a good person. That's not Christianity. You don't need Christ for that. You don't need a savior for that. And amazing grace turns into, here's a little boost, grace. Because really, I'm pretty good. I just need a little help. No, we need saving. But sometimes we don't want to receive that gift. I learned that uh, in, a, in a fairly unique way a couple months ago. Tiffany and I were um, going through the drive-thru at a fast food restaurant that shall rename 
nameless that I love. It's called Bebop's. And we're driving through, and, and we're, we're ordering our meals, and, and I, we go through, and I get out my credit card to pay, and we're getting ready, because that's what you do. If you order food, you pay for it. And we get up to the, the drive through lane, and the lady pops out with, you know, their little paper 1955 diner hats that are kind of cool. And she kind of leans out the window, and normally you would expect, like, okay, it's $10 or whatever, and we hand her our credit card, and she goes, um, I don't know how to tell you this, but y- you know the car that was in front of you? We're like, yeah, it was like a Jeep or something. Like, They just paid for your meal, so I- thank you. Here's your meal. And she said, you're free to go. Like she almost said, and here's your receipt, but you don't need a receipt because you-, you didn't have to pay for it. You're free. And Tiffany and I are just like picking our jaws off the ground like, what? Like, we couldn't comprehend it in that moment. Like, no, we bought this. We need to pay you for this. And she's like, no, just you're free. Like, your tab's been taken care of. The price has been paid. And here I am, you know, guys, as a strong, confident male adult adult that's taking my wife on a hot date to Bebop's. We're there. You know, I want to pay for it, right? We're not going Dutch. I'm the man. I'm paying for this, right? So in that moment, I have two choices. And one, I can try to be strong and confident and say, no, you know, I I, I don't need this. Or, Or I can just receive it and leave free. I mean, how silly would it be after receiving this free gift if I get in the car and put the pedal to the metal and start tearing off the parking lot and go chase down this Jeep with my hand out the window waving my credit card saying, no, 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 you can't pay for me. I'm a strong, confident adult male. I have a job. I've earned this meal. I can pay for it. I'm strong enough. I'm confident enough. I'm good enough. Gosh darn it, people like me. I can pay for my own food. Sometimes that's what we do with God's grace. We've received this free gift and he didn't just pay for our burgers. He paid for your life with his life. Not a $10 meal, but something that you would never be able to repay to be good enough to earn. And that's his love. That's life. It wasn't free for him. It's free for us, but it wasn't free for Jesus because it cost him everything. That's why it's called grace, because we don't deserve it. And we don't need to go chase God down and say, I'm good enough. I don't need your help. And I'm speaking right now to those of us that have been Christians and following Jesus for a long time. We fall into this rut of pride, and we think, I've been there, I've done that, I've taken the Bible study, I've sung the song, I've heard the sermon, whatever it is, grace is really for people who are really messed up. The longer I'm a Christian, the more I realize how desperate I am for grace. And it should never, ever, ever, ever grow old. I don't want to get used to it. I never want to have this been there, done that attitude. And I wonder if that's why Jesus lifts up small children so often as models of faith because they haven't been corrupted, they haven't lost their innocence yet, and they still truly believe in the depth of their being that they are wholly and fully dependent on somebody else for their life. And somewhere along the way, we lose that. And we think, oh, Jesus, amazing grace. It's not really amazing anymore if you don't need it. And that's the challenge, and we we fall into that 
<laughs> that ditch, that lane on the bowling alley, but the other side, there's a ditch as well. And for some of you, that's the one, if you're like me, that trips us up the most, and that's performance. Our own performance that we don't think measures up. I was meeting with a guy, drank a lot of coffee. I've drank more coffee in the last six years leading this church than I have my entire life. Uh, I get home and I'm like, I was at Caribou. How's the Starbucks? You know, wherever you are, you just kind of smell like that. I do, I do a lot of meetings in coffee shops. And so this guy calls me up, says, John, can we go for coffee? He starts sharing in, with a sto- about a story and he gets pretty honest with me. And he starts saying, John, I, you know, I, maybe like a lot of you this morning, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've been in Bible studies, I grew up in the church, I've done, done so many things, I've been involved, I've served, I've stayed really busy for God. As if busyness is what God wants the most. It's not. You know, John, I've done what I think I'm supposed to do, I've prayed the prayers I think I'm supposed to pray, I've, 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 I've rededicated the dedication of my rededication to Christ. I keep trying, and you know, it's that spectrum again. This is, this is who I want to be, John, and this is the man of God that he's calling me to be, and I can't get there. I keep getting in my own way. I keep messing up, no matter how hard I try. I'm tired of letting my family down. I'm tired of letting God down. And then he says this, I mean, don't you think that God is just so disappointed with me? It's a middle-aged man. He's been a Christian his whole life. And then he says, I mean, At a certain point, doesn't God just get angry with us? I mean, at a certain point, knowing who I am, not the nice little mask I put on on Sunday mornings, but who I really am as a person, don't I just run out of opportunities of going back to Jesus, like back to the cross? God's little stack of welcome home banners runs out at some point, right? And normally in these moments, I try to be really caring and pastoral and compassionate. And so I just looked at him and I said, brother, dude, that is messed up. Good luck with that. I don't know. Just kidding. So I'm like, what? No, we need a new pastor. No, that's not what I said. Guys, I've learned in those moments, as maybe hopefully you have, that as Christians, we really, really love to open our big mouths and fix people. Your job as a follower of Jesus, when we care for others in the body of Christ, is not to fix them and try to give them all the answers. Your job is to listen and to listen to the Holy Spirit for what the Spirit wants to say through you to them. And I never would have got this. I just said, Spirit, what do you want my friend to hear? And he gave me this question. I'm like, okay, this could go awesome or terribly. And I just turned to him and I said, brother, when you were growing up and you got in trouble or you messed up and you sinned, how did, your, how did your dad react? And he's just about to answer, and then he kind of silenced and started to tear up a little bit inside, and he said, silence or anger. He would either ignore me and do nothing, and I felt isolated and alone, or he would get violent, physically or verbally. And he was like, no clear in that moment that the Holy Spirit is like, you need to tell him this. And then I opened my mouth, and I looked at him, this 35-year-old man, and I said, brother, that is not who your Father in heaven is. 
35 years of living a lie. And it was like this 500-pound weight was just lifted off of his shoulders. And I know, I get it, last week was Father's Day, but I love talking about fathers because I am one, and it's a lot, it's a lot more real now. And for better or for worse, your earthly father has impacted you and your view of God in one way or another. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking into the tear-filled eyes of my friend who's been a Christian his whole life and yet he's never grasped grace. And it just, just reminded that no matter if we're young or old or rich or poor, no matter what our story is, we never stop longing for the approval of dad. doesn't matter if it was your, your little girl and your dance recital and you're saying, Daddy, Daddy, look at me. Or you're eight on the t-ball team or you're 18 trying to make the varsity football team or you're all grown up and yet you can't find a spouse and you want to prove to your parents that you're good enough, that you're worthy of being somebody's husband or wife or you're 45 and you're trying to get that promotion to prove to your dad that's not even alive anymore that you're good. And that was the realization that my friend came to. God God wants to come and he wants to change your story. He wants to change the narrative of your life. You don't need to go looking for the approval when you already have it. God as Father is not a plan B. It was a plan A from the very, very beginning that you would know his love and that you would live into that. It doesn't help that our culture is just drenched in performance and we don't even realize it sometimes. But if you want to be somebody, if you want to be noticed, if, if you want love, if you want attention, if you want recognition, earn it. That's the message that we're sent every single day. And some of us live into that until Jesus comes along in Romans chapter 8 and says through Paul, get this, says to you this morning, so now there is no condemnation. There's no anger. There's no silence. There's no passivity. There's no condemnation from your Father for those that are in Christ Jesus. For you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful, slaves, and said you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his children. And now we call him Abba, Father, which literally means Daddy, there's two ways that you can live this life in response to grace. You can live as a fearful slave, thinking you have to earn it, or you can live as a beloved son or daughter that knows that they already have that approval, that they've been given that love, and there's nothing they could do to earn it. It turns out all of us, no matter what age, never stop needing to call out Abba. Daddy. Saw this commercial this past week, and I think it speaks to our longing, all of us. Let's take a look.
And that's a commercial for Dove Soap. You want to know what it means to be Lutheran? To do that with your Heavenly Father. That's what it means. There's a member of Hope named Mike Ahmed, and few of us got to meet him. He comes from kind of a Middle Eastern background where we get this Aramaic language that Abba is from. And I thought I knew what that meant. And he said, you want to know what Abba truly means in, in our culture? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And he was telling some of us pastors this story. And he said, you know, Jesus' culture is very similar to mine growing up in that Middle Eastern culture, very much a patriarchal society, right? The men are way up here, and women and children are to be seen and not heard. That's not what we believe. That's what it was at the time. And so when the men would all get together and eat together, have important meetings, the women and children would be off in another room, it would just be scandalous if one of them came in. And if some child came into that meeting of men uninvited, looking for his dad, the, the rule was of the culture that any one of those men had the right to discipline him or hurt him or beat him physically. Because you, you don't deserve to be here. You're not allowed in our presence unless you were the favored one. Unless you were that son or daughter that the father who owned that home had given access to and permission to be in his presence. And only that child could run in. And if they ran in and yelled, Abba! And some man got up to strike him, the father could say, stop. That's my son, that's my daughter, they're off limits. But only if you were the favored one, if you were the one that had received unmerited favor. We call that grace. And today, no matter what your story is, because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, every single one of you are that son or daughter that has full access to your Abba, Father. And I pray for us that that's how we would live our lives, not in pride and works righteousness in that gutter, not in the other gutter of trying to be good enough and to earn something that you already have. Folks, that's why they call it grace. That that would be the primary identity that you have is a son or daughter, and out of that identity that you would then live your life that you would live like it's true and that you wouldn't do all these things as a Christian to be good enough, that you would do them because you already are good enough. Not on your own, but because of what Jesus has done. May you run as a child or just as maybe a grown-up child into the arms of your father and understand today what it means to experience grace. That's my heart for you. That's God's desire for you this morning.